Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Jeremy DeVal. I'm Matt James. And that leaves no one for me but to be Matt Croger. Uh, tonight we are joined by the head honcho, the Grand Poobah, the Sultan of the RC, Mr. Matt James. Thanks so much for joining us, Matt. Not a problem, guys. Good to, have, good to be back. So tonight we're going to continue on our series of Clash of Kings hype episodes and we're going to focus a little bit more on the playtesting process and the RC with you, Matt. Uh, so let's get into it. So Matt, you've had quite a bit of time as chair of the rules committee now. Um, I'm really interested in how you might have seen that role change over time or how it's changed in the context of the, the changing RC over the last couple of years. Yeah, so I don't think the role itself has actually changed, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I mean, although it, you know you, you gave me a very uh, grand welcoming then, explained that I was the, the grand poo bar, et cetera, et cetera, we are very much a round table. And so my role is kind of just to liaise with Mantic and, you know, be that that sort of uh, voice, if you like, um, and sort of liaise there. Uh, now, what has changed is the personnel. Um, obviously, last year, Elliot and Pat and Mike joined and um, Dan and uh, Jeff uh, left us. So naturally, there's different personalities there. Um, there's you know, differences of opinion, new ideas coming on. And also we've had uh, Kyle's taken a bit more of a, a role uh, with us, which I'm sure you discussed with him when, when you did your, your episode. I've not had a chance to listen to that yet. Um, so, yes, uh, I would imagine that um, he's explained some of, the, some of the things that he's been doing there. But that means that we generally speak to Kyle a lot more than we used to. It used to just be kind of going to Matt Gilbert. I mean, you still speak to Matt and Rob and all the other guys and, and Ronnie at, at Mantic. But yeah, having having Kyle there uh, now and so, uh, Kyle's great because he, he knows the game, um, he plays the game, uh, whereas the other guys at Mantic perhaps don't um, don't get quite so involved on on that front. So um, lots of things have changed, but um, the role itself, I, w- I would say, has, uh, has has stayed pretty much the same. You know, I'm really excited to have you on the show. You know, uh, we've had so much fun um, and you guys have heard our first one of of developing and going through these episodes of sort of getting everyone excited for Clash 2022. Uh, And I'm curious, you know, as we talk a little bit with Matt about looking at the Clash pack through the lens of testing and playtesting, when you guys were getting ready to really get deep into 2022, um, did you have in your head already some design goals that you wanted to touch or were, or did you have a list of like priorities you were hoping to to work on in the Clash pack? Nothing beyond the norm, really. I mean, we know that uh, Clash of Kings, um, as an annual update, generally provides us with balance updates and, and stuff like that. And I think the format's pretty well defined in that respect. People know what they're going to get with, uh, with the Clash of Kings book. They're going to get some new spells, some new artifacts, some new things. To, to play the game with so i think in in terms of in terms of that it was somewhat a case of of more of the same 
However, somewhere down the line in the design process, we came across this idea that we would do the, uh, I think it's been, been announced that uh, we're doing a no nerf cock. Uh, so um, we've not directly nerfed any units. Uh, of course, all the nerfs from previous uh, amendments, whether they be in the FAQ or last year's Hulk's Rift supplement, um, do carry over. But there's no new nerfs in the book. And that was was quite a challenge uh, to work with. I mean, sometimes, you, you know, you look at things and you think, oh, we should probably nerf that. But we, we kind of settled upon this idea that we try and bring everybody else up rather than knock people down. And, uh, and naturally, that presented its own challenges. But uh, it was a, it was definitely a, a design ethos, if you like, um, from that point once we'd all agreed on it. So, yeah, it was uh, something something to work towards. I think we've largely um, achieved a good outcome with it as well. And I would think that if you're approaching it through that lens, right, of instead of nerfing the one or two troubled units, let's bring up all of the other units, that that would maybe lead into, you know, I think a lot of people have talked about how this Clash of Kings is the biggest one yet, just about as far as the amount of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Did that have, do you think that idea of, of buffing as opposed to, of nerfing led to some of the sort of increased size of the Clash updates? Or, or do you think just this is just naturally kind of the time for a sort of version 3.5 if you say or or speak a little bit about to the, the logistics of this clash of kings being the biggest one that we've seen so far so i don't think the no nerf thing um particularly added uh to the workload if you like or the amount of changes that um that are happening maybe it did have, have some sort of effect but i i don't see it wasn't like a conscious thing well what was more a conscious decision was the fact that last year we were extremely limited in terms of what we could change by the page space available to us in Halpy's Rift. Originally, before the pandemic, we, Halpy's Rift was going to be a standalone book, and then we were going to have uh, Clash of Kings as per usual. So once it kind of all got merged into one book, you know, we, we got told this is how many pages you've got, and, and away you go with the, the balance changes. So last year we really had to kind of pinpoint certain units and make those changes so we were quite conscious that this year we kind of had to make up for that and really try and address more stuff than we did last year so i think that was um that was one of the things that was uh that was it was um conscious now in terms of the logistics it it just meant a lot more work for everybody we naturally had a lot more stuff to test which we'll come to in a bit and it meant that we'd have to put calls out to people you know we haven't had this tested yet you know, guys we, we really need such and such tested because you know there's there's so much i mean the, really testers are going to struggle to to do it and i think there's a natural tendency um, especially with the new half things coming out uh, for people to kind of focus on the new shiny stuff and it was just difficult making sure that nothing kind of flew under the radar and that we got a good um, good, good amount of playtest in terms of uh, the, the length and breadth of the, the book. And that's the thing, having come that's from, having, in a previous life, I was a video game tester. And uh, okay. some of that means like, oh, I'm, I have to, in this level, I have to try to run into every single wall. 
or I need to try to, you know, everything needs to be tested, mm-hmm. right? Not just the new fun stuff. You got to sometimes like uh, do the stuff maybe that is not, not as exciting to test, but it's all part of making the, the best product you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm in the U.S. and I'm a tester. Uh, Matt's in Australia and he's a tester and you're in England and working on the, the RC. How important do you think it is or maybe speak to a little bit about the fact that in testing we have testers from all over the world, from different metas, different groups. Is that something that the RC you guys as the testing process like actively think about of wanting to have those different perspectives? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so certainly when we were selecting new RC members last year, we kind of looked to to have uh, someone from from the states, UK, and uh, from Australia when when Mike, Elliot, and Pat joined us. So that's something that we're we're, we're quite conscious of on on that level. And naturally, that then feeds into the playtesters because I'll I'll have people in my local club that I'll recommend for playtesting, as will all the other RC members. Um, and then you kind of branch out to people you know from tournaments from other clubs and and, and such and such. Um, so you do get a, a good variety of people. And you know, just just in the UK, the the meta can vary quite a bit from what you see in the southwest to what you see uh, up north, or what you see in, in the London um, meta. So um, of course you, you factor in the whole world, and I know there's uh, a big scene in the US and, and quite a diverse set of metas if you like there and the same can be said for for australia where you know mike was coming in with new ideas and things and saying you know this sort of thing's really um really powerful uh, down under uh so perhaps this is something we should have a look at or we don't see this so much down under you know or or, or you know whatever the whatever his viewpoint was so it was great to have that that australian viewpoint um, as well as the the US and the UK uh, viewpoints that we've um, we've had previously, but what I think's most important is is not just the fact that we have um, a variety of matters represented, but a variety of different player types. Not everyone plays the game to be a top tier, um, top table general, um, and I think it's important to to get some of the guys who are perhaps a bit more. Um, not you know knowledgeable in the game still, but a bit more focused towards just having fun with it. And ultimately, the um, the guys on the top table are the tip of the iceberg, and they do tend to be the most vocal um, players. But actually, the you go below the surface of that, and there's a hell of a lot of players who are just playing for enjoyment, but are just playing for fun. And I think it's important that they have their voices heard as well. Um, so giving them a platform to do that. Uh, three for three playtesting is really key um, because you know there might be something that is actually yeah it might might seem to be pretty balanced and the top table guys might have one opinion on it but actually if it's unfun then that could actually do the game damage so it's, it's good to have um, a variety of, of different standpoints from that point of view as well and I think Matt I felt that that was like pretty well represented and we'll talk a little bit more in details about playtesting uh, in a, in a little bit but I think that there was a lot of different uh, feedback coming right uh, along that spectrum of is it fun, flavorful and makes sense and then does it also is it also balanced right there that's a continuum of opinion and I thought we had nice opinions from all sort of along that continuum Yeah I feel like I feel like you can kind of quite easily make a, a balanced game um if you disregard all the all the narrative side of it and you disregard what a unit should be i mean we can ju- we could just look at a unit and say okay it needs 
special rule X and give it to it without any consideration to the uh, to the narrative, to whether it's any fun. And we, we could go down that route. But actually, there's, there's a lot more to it with um, with a fantasy war game than, than just doing that. Um, and we don't want it to just become chess. So, um, yeah, there, it's all it's all things we need to consider and and having different viewpoints and different takes on it uh, enables us to do that with um, with, with a with a, a good degree of success, I think. Well, and that's that's right, um, isn't it? And I think I think Jeremy, yeah, hundred percent right, is that like a a big part of this playtesting group was about uh, injecting flavour. And if it was purely for a tournament game, you wouldn't necessarily bother with that so much, right? You'd like you'd say, matter would approach closer and closer to chess. So you could just have your special rules, have your formula, and um, balance it out accordingly. But you know, I think a big big part of this. Clash of Kings is that we're we're seeing the flavor and and flavor is about fun. Yeah, when we had Kyle on, um, we talked about what were some of our favorite takeaways from the pack, and one of my favorite takeaways was trying to find a design space for rules changes that also made thematic sense. You know, uh, like mm-hmm. this unit needs something, right? So we're going to change the rule, but let's work it into the fluff. Let's let's be cognizant and aware of we're giving this rule not just because unit X needs to be a little bit better or what whatever, but we're also trying to think about how does this rule um, make sense with with the army. Um, yeah, I'm curious for you, Matt. Looking at, is there anything that sort of stands out, you know, before we get into the more specifics about playtesting, but when you're sort of looking at the, the, the cock pack now as it's on its final stretch to being, to being uh, laid out and, and ready to come out, uh, what, is there anything that's like a, you feel is like a really good success or something that really stands out at you about the pack generally that you really love? Yeah, and I'm going to contradict my last statement now, um, because one of the things that I really love in this Clash of Kings book is the change to conditional inspiring. Um, we have got rid of conditional inspiring, so there's not going to be any more um, inspiring brackets, insert keyword here. Um, inspiring is inspiring now. And um, whilst that does lead to some thematic issues, for example, a dwarf warsmith suddenly inspires Brock's you know, okay, I, I can kind of live with that. One thing that I was really kind of noting was that all of the armies that were doing really well had lots of access to inspiring on heroes that you would take anyway. You know, it was kind of like um, Undead are a really good example of this, where you look through their list of heroes. and Off the top of my head, without going back and counting now, I think they've got about nine heroes excluding living legends or sorry 11 heroes excluding living legends and nine of them just had flat inspiring whereas you look at say free dwarfs and everything was um rangers only or tracker only which whatever the keyword is there or berserker only and they were really limited um trident run were another one that were really limited in that respect as well and i think what that did was that kind of shoehorned you into uh, battle group deployment whereas undead and, and armies like night stalkers as well um you know they don't particularly care about inspiring they just borrow yours um so so i think it kind of shoehorned those those armies that didn't necessarily have the we- the the wealth of uh, inspiring options into battle group deployments where when one unit of i don't know thor goes down um 
you know where the mythican's going and you know where all the stuff that the mythican inspires is going and it makes it very rigid whereas i think now you, those armies have a lot more options a lot more fluidity both in list building in deployment and how they actually play so so i think that's really good and i've always been someone that as much as yes it's nice to stick to the theme and all the things i just spoke about in terms of giving units rules and and having things make thematic sense i don't think that inspiring the the edge cases that we have there with inspiring for example the dwarf warsmith inspiring Brox is is a huge price to pay i mean you could make your own narrative um I'm I'm very much someone that likes the the idea of your guys being your guys, and you can kind of create your own narrative off of that and say, well, the Brocks are inspired by the Dwarf Warsmith because they're convinced one day one of his contraptions is going to work, and that makes them want to hang around and fight a bit longer, or yeah, whatever whatever it is you want to you know make make the case for. Um, so that is one of the things that I think is really going to have a big effect on the game, um, big impact on list building. Uh, big impacts on what we see on the table and how armies play. Yeah, that was on both Croger's and I's list when we talked with Kyle about things that we loved too. Out of the pack was to change to inspiring, and I think one of the argue or not arguments, but one of the thing might come up was like, well, that then sort of the BSB becomes uh, sort of obsolete. And to me, I'm like, that's fine. The BSB is boring anyway, so why not have more interesting characters? You know, that also give mm-hmm. inspiring. So and like you said, it leaves you still narrative space to be like, you know, maybe the warsmith was like happened to help that clan at the right moment. So now these are like his personal bodyguard of Brock. I mean, so I think there's still room, like you said, to to explore that narrative space. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that uh, I'm a big fan of is achieving the greatest impact with the least amount of change. So. You know, in, in in my ideal world, and this is just me personally speaking, um, not the not the views of the RC, but uh, I would quite happily make you know if, if we could make massive changes to the, to how the game plays and how you build lists and and that sort of thing by only making say three or four actual changes then I'd be okay with that. Now we're never gonna we're never gonna get to that stage. There's always gonna be units that need tweaking, there's always gonna be new spells to add in, new items, all, all that sort of stuff. But um I, I like the greatest amount of change made with the uh, uh sorry, I'll rephrase that. I like the the greatest amount of impact with the least actual amount of change. Whereas others might have the viewpoint, well, well actually we would like to reprint every army list and uh, amend things by a point of nerve or five points on the unit and, and go through everything. Um, but but my my kind of philosophy is is very different. Um, but like I say, we've got a, a wide variety of uh, viewpoints on the RC and we always kind of end up meeting in the middle somewhere. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, one of those changes this is right up my street um, and I'm sure people will uh, will enjoy it. Completely agree with you guys on the inspiring. From one point of view, it can look like it's less flavoursome by not taking that. But yeah, on the other hand, you know, you can build narratives around these characters that were never taken before because they were conditionally inspiring. So I, I, I totally agree. I think that's one of the best changes. And, and like you say, Matt, you don't, want, you don't want change for the sake of change, right? So that's a, that's a tweak to a rule that potentially will have quite a bit of change in the game without changing necessarily how the game plays. So I think yeah. that's... Uh, can I say an inspired choice? 
I see what you did there. Um, the other thing I will I will touch on briefly, um, and we've kind of already seen it in Halpy's Rift, but now uh, this is kind of making its way into to the core game, and that is spellcaster levels and how um, you are going to be able to purchase spells at different values depending on what level your spellcaster is. So, for example, you may have a level one goblin whiz. That level one goblin whiz can only buy spells at level one. It won't be able to buy them at level two or level three, whereas the level three in, I don't know, Undead uh, will be able to purchase spells um, at level three, at level two and at level one. And each spellcaster level that, that is listed next to a spell uh, will have a different amount of dice. So for certain spells at level one, you might be only rolling one dice. Level two, you might be rolling three dice. And at level three, you might be rolling five dice, for example. So that's um, that's one thing that's going to really shake things up and make make magic feel magical, because I think that's one of the criticisms that Clash of Kings has had. Uh, and there's a number of artifacts and upgrades and stuff that you can use to um, to buff your spellcaster level, so you can then go back and buy um, spells at perhaps a high, slightly increased level. Um, and there's a few other things that let you do some some interesting stuff with casters. So yeah, making magical, making magic feel magical. There we go. That's uh, that's another one of the changes I'm excited about. Yeah, I mean, for me, one one of the one of the things I wanted was just like one more bite of complexity, or like one more little nibble of flavor, or one more. Like mm-hmm. I love the simplicity of kings, and I love that it's the, how you win kings is your play on the table and not memorizing all the obtuse obscure rules you know mm-hmm. kings is one on the on on the by by the play but i think a lot of people just had just wanted just a little bit more of that sort of wow factor or just a smidge more of that flavor or depth or whatever and i really think this pack has achieved adding that with not making the game um lose its spiritual core of being in a, a minute to learn lifetime to master yeah, and I think this is one of the things that's um, quite good about the the mixture of personalities that we've got on the rules committee at the moment. Um, we've got Chris and Jason, who've been on the, the RC for a very long time now, um, all the way back to I think version one, or certainly certainly Chris was. I think Jason came on early days of development of uh, version two. So they are, I'm sure they won't be mind me describing them as traditionalists. And they kind of keep things very grounded. And then at, this, at the opposite end of the scale, uh, we've got Pat and Elliot who've, who've come in this year, or, or sorry, last year to work on this year's book. And they are, you know, full of new ideas, lots of, lots of new new things. And, that, and that's great. And I think we've got me and Mike who kind of sit in the middle of that. And, you know, we're not we're not against change. And not, not Chris and Jason, they're not against change. But it's like, how do we filter the... The, the ideas, how do we make sure that we're doing the right changes for the right reasons um, and the right amount of change as well? Because the last thing we want to do is basically publish what would effectively be like V4 of the book um, via Clash of Kings, because um, that would be be, be too big, uh, beyond, be beyond the scope of the book. So, yeah, it's good that we've got that good mixture of personalities. And like I said, we always kind of end up meeting somewhere in the middle. And, and that's really good for the game is... Uh, Interesting dynamic means sometimes we do butt heads, but I think in the end we get to the right outcome. I think one of the things we talked about as far from Matt's, Crozier's and I's perspective on being a playtester, that the playtest group, even though coming from different opinions, the end goal was still the same, which was wanting 
the best game possible. Do you feel that's like among the RC two that even though people have different maybe uh, paths on how to get to that goal, there's still a really just desire to have the absolute best version of Kings as possible. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that is obviously the goal. However, what what you think uh, the best game is might differ from what I think the best game is, and I think it's. Um, Good that there's six of us from all around the world and we can kind of hammer these ideas out, discuss them at, at length and work it out. You know, if, if you come to me with an idea and I don't I don't like that idea, well, I'm not just going to say no, I don't like that idea. It's going to be a case of, OK, I, I see what you're trying to achieve with this, but is there a way that we perhaps achieve it in another way? And we, we will discuss it. We'll, we'll work it out. Other people will feed in and, and we'll vote on it, you know, and we'll, we'll figure out a way a way of making the game that is ma- making the game better in the eyes of the majority. So I just wonder before we move on to the next bit, Matt, can we twist your arm to say if there was a single change to a unit that is your favourite from the book, would you be able to give us an example? Hmm. There's so many. There is so many. I think the obvious answer that I'm going to give uh, is the buffs to monsters um the monsters and titans a lot of them have received the uh, the rampage or slayer special rules that was quite interesting in development first of all we only had the rampage rule which is uh, extra attacks against small stuff um and then i came up with the idea that actually we should have something that counters that so it's not just all monsters having the same special rule because we wanted to make monsters interesting and different, right? So the last thing we want to do is give them all the same special rule. But we also wanted to make them all better. So actually, by making some monsters anti-monster monsters and giving them the Slayer special rule where they're getting more attacks against bigger stuff like other monsters, um, we've really created a, a nice little dynamic there where if you are playing against an army that, that has... Um, say a couple of rampage monsters titans i'm using old terminology there but uh you know what i mean um then perhaps you counter that and you deploy your your slayer monsters or or titans opposite that um so i think that's a really nice dynamic it applies to a lot of armies so no i can't i can't single out one single unit um but i i can single out a unit type that i'm quite excited about awesome yeah, well, that's definitely something that, you know, we had talked a little bit about that in the past, but a little bit more detail on on how the monsters and titans are getting better with these special rules, which grant them bonus attacks against different monster types. And again, to me, that's a perfect example of, OK, we need to make something better. And then let's mm-hmm. also think about thematically where some monsters would be better at just like stomping on infantry, you know, or certain monsters are, are better at killing other monsters. So it's, again, it's a way to, to increase the ability of a unit, but also mm-hmm. add uh, imagination space to it. It's again, the least amount of change for the greatest amount of impact. Um, yeah. You know, kind of, kind of aim of mine. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's something that I'm, I'm really pleased with. Awesome. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we'll get back more into the details about all things playtesting. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an environment where it's safe to show pictures of your one-eyed monsters? Countercharge After Dark, the home of safe hobby. 
check the show notes for the Discord link. And welcome back. So now let's move on to the playtesting specific part of the show where we find out a little bit more about the process. Um, so Matt, I'm interested, how is the pool of playtesters usually collected? Uh, we pull names out of a hat. No, I'm, I'm just joking. Um, the RC members will will know people in their, uh, their local area, their gaming clubs, their tournament matter. They will be able to th- um, recommend as playtesters. Then that kind of starts to branch out a little bit. You've got, you know, pe- people that know people and, you know, recommended. And it's, it's, all, it's all a little bit word of mouth, um, which is okay. And uh, there's no kind of, um, it's not it's not some sort of secret society. It, it, it's just, you know, we, we like to pick people that um, we know know the game. We know that are balanced. I mean, uh, there's certain individuals that um, make good good contributions on on pages like fanatics in the army specific pages where we think actually yeah they, this guy's quite measured um and 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 will make sense and will provide feedback in a, a measured and controlled way the same by the same token you've got the people that um perhaps need to show a little bit of restraint on those on those platforms at times and so those people uh won't necessarily get asked to be a play tester um but that, that's generally how we we ask people to become playtesters. It will be people we know. It will be all, all done through sort of sort of word of mouth, really, to make sure that we are getting people that are recommended uh, in terms of not only their knowledge of the game, but their temperament and their ability to provide feedback in a in a balanced way. The last last thing we want is someone who's very much kind of just wants to make their own army better or make their friends army worse um trust me it's it's, it's been tempting sometimes to uh to, to nerf my my friends armies um that i've lost to and i even jokingly threaten it sometimes uh at the club but um we, we must uh refrain from doing so and make sure that we pick some some balanced individuals that are gonna take it seriously um they're gonna be you know that we can rely on and um that gonna make good contributions yeah, and that's it's that's um that can be really hard, isn't it? I think I mentioned on it might be on our episode with Kyle is that everyone does come to the table with their own bias, right? And it's about whether the individual can recognise that bias or not, um, because mm-hmm. you know based on your local meta and what you play, or even the people you like, not even necessarily your local meta, it might just be the person you play against most. You're going to get this potentially skewed view on what's right and wrong rather than through a lens of the entire game aren't you yeah so i mean i i think i'm quite self-aware in that respect um fortunately so i play armies that are i don't have a play style for me i know there's there's certain players um where you see their lists and oh look they're they're running whatever their their usual thing is um but it will just be a different army so they might run it as undead one week and empire that's that's the next but it's it's more or less the same thing you know you've got players that will switch between um between different flavors of shooting army whereas i've got quite a shooty dwarf army i've got um a very fast alpha strike kingdoms men army and then i've got my orcs which are built to grind so I, i kind of see that as three different archetypes that i play um and i think that kind of enables me to look 
at other archetypes in a bit more of a you know somewhat balanced way um and recognize that where the where the imbalances are where the the balance is so yeah i I think that's um that's quite a good thing in fact when we when we split off into the the working groups in inside the rc we, we kind of broke off into groups of two um to work on different armies we did, divided all the armies up amongst them and i actually said i, I don't want to work on dwarfs I, I don't want to do it um you know other people picked armies that they're familiar with playing and i kind of went the opposite direction um the reason i did that was because i play a very specific style of free dwarf army that is all about rangers and i run quite a lot of rangers and i do quite well with them and i was like well i, I don't really see where you know free dwarfs need need the help because i'm doing well with them but i have a very specific specific build with them so perhaps it's actually better if somebody else looks at free dwarfs so yeah that, that's kind of my take on it um i try and try not to be biased but of, of course subconsciously there's always going to be i'm always going to be looking at it through my own lens based on my own experiences and, and that that is going to shape my view um but i do try and take the bias out of it and just try and look at what's fair yeah, it's in- inevitable that there'll be some, right? But it's it's more, I guess, yeah, like you say, whether you can be mostly aware of it or not. Mm-hmm. I think with this group, we ended up, oh, I think the group was about a group of 64. Not that that's necessarily 64 people actually contributing regularly. How did you feel yeah. about that size of group? It was challenging. Um, previously for V3, what we did was we had, this was for V3 development, was we had... Um, representatives from each sort of club and they would kind of manage their playtesters within their club which I thought worked really well because um, what we don't want is the Facebook group um, where the balance changes are discussed to become an echo chamber where all the people from one club if if you've got 10 people from one club all commenting uh, it can perhaps skew the view a little bit Um, similarly with with 64 you get you get it from source you get the 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 feedback from source a, a, a lot more and so there's definitely pros and cons to each approach um i don't think one is particularly better than the other they're just different approaches um so yeah i mean it, it may look like there's quite a lot of them on, on, on paper but uh there was also a hell of a lot of stuff to get through this time as there was with with v3 development so yeah, I mean, it's just just a case of making sure that everyone's informed and that feedback is being presented in the correct way. And um, since my time on the uh, playtesting various things, it, uh, more recently, well, it's probably about a year ago now, but you put in place specific feedback forms. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, that feedback form, what you're looking for out of each game and what you've chosen in that and, and why you choose those things? So the reason um, the feedback forms came in was this actually happened during V3 development. Um, I, I did the first feedback forms. The reason for that was that during the previous year's Clash of Kings, sort of the the, the dying stages of V2, if you like, um, there was just a Facebook group, and it just felt like it was a bit of a free-for-all, and you'd have people saying, I think. All right? Everything would start with, I think. And really that's kind of information that 
essentially we want people to go out and actually test stuff rather than just say i think um because we can all sit there read a book and say i think and i've seen quite a lot of um feedback over the years where um people have started messaging me on on facebook or putting things up on fanatics or whatever um with regards to i've just seen the book it's just come out you guys are crazy this is broken we're gonna see it all the time um and then we don't and then, and then we don't see it because actually that person's perhaps jumped to a conclusion and so really the feedback forms was to make sure that people actually go and test stuff and uh and, and don't just sit behind a, a keyboard shout, shouting the odds um if you like or providing a, an opinion um we don't want to turn it into a shouting match we don't want to turn it into um whoever speaks the loudest gets what they want we want the feedback forms in place so you, so people can actually say to us this is what we tested this is what happened and this is what we think you should do about it um and we do that in a very structured way it, it, it i'll just talk talk through the contents of the form so we have um a space for both people to provide their army lists um so it will say at the top who the two players are which armies they were using and what the scenario was, because obviously that can be a factor, how many points they played and who won. That's the, that's the first sort of section. Um, the, having the army list is really important because sometimes you might get um, a report come in that says, oh, this, this army won, it's way too powerful, it's such and such, such and such. And then you'll look at what it was against and you'll think, well, actually, maybe it's because the list that they were up against was poorly designed or you know difficult to pilot or, or the scenario just you know of course it was going to lose because he's put all his eggs in one basket and this is the hard counter to it so we've got that that space so we can sort of look at it and use our own um imagination of course we will go back and ask questions if there's there's questions that we feel need to be asked um then then underneath there's a space for um asking what uh, what your thoughts on your own army were and then what your thoughts on your opponent's army were and there's that for both players so there's that sort of twice um and then we've got a, a, another section at the bottom which is uh, can you give a mini bat rep or outline anything that really skewed the game because ultimately if you've got um we'd like people to be honest there if someone's saying uh th this army's really good but actually the the player playing it has rolled nothing but sixes the whole game well, of uh, of course it's good. <laughs> you know, your dice, um, your dice kind of ruin the game in that respect. So we look for we look for a lot more um, stuff, and we we look to have that in place so that people provide stuff in a balanced and and kind of measured way that gives us all the information rather than um, people with you know one line replies to a, to a thread on on fanatics to say this is too powerful. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we go into detail why why it's too powerful. Well, because it's got the synergy with this, or um, whatever the situation might be. So, uh, yeah, that, that that's kind of how we do it and why we do it. And um, I think it's it's largely successful. So I think we you hear a lot, right, Crozier and I. We you, we hear this all the time, right? Where a new rule comes out or a unit comes out, and right off the bat, someone's like, "Oh, this is so broken. This unit sucks." No one's going to take it. And I think initial res initial uh, 
take on a unit is not something that has no value, right? Maybe it, it sort of maybe gives you a guiding point to start. Like if you're trying to figure a map, maybe that initial feeling is like, oh, it's somewhere west from here. So sometimes I right. think that the initial sense can give you maybe what you want to look at, but it's really only until you get down into playing like, uh, let's play this thing that we may that might be too good, but let's play it against a, 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 a counter list that we know does well against it. Let's play it against a list that it probably sure. would do well against where it, you're not just you're trying to look at in all the different permutations that you might see it. And that's when you begin to get the real concrete data. Exactly. And I think we've had um, even during playtesting this time around, we've had people that, said, you know, they'll, they'll post something like, I think such and such is is too strong. OK, well, we'll, we'll make note of that. We'll make note that of their opinion that, that something is too strong and we'll keep an eye on it and we'll we'll look to see if anyone tests it. And if no one does, we'll put out a call and we'll say, guys, uh, a few of you have raised a concern about unit X. Um, can anyone make a list which contains unit X that um, and test it and give us the feedback? So it gives us a, a good starting point. Um, and of course, those opinions um, give us our starting point as well before we've had playtest feedback, because naturally we'll be ba basing uh, Clash of Kings changes off what has taken place in the tournament scene over the previous year. So whilst we won't necessarily have the structured feedback forms at that point, um, we will have plenty of stuff to go on and plenty of uh, consensus that, hey, this unit could do with some help. You don't see many of them. You see too much of this. And that will be our, our starting point. So, yeah, it, it's, it's useful, um, but it's uh, only useful in terms of um, giving a starting point or uh, noting things for uh, further exploration. Yeah, and that's a that's a good segue into the next question. Is it, with with so much going on, how do you guys ensure that everything has been covered and tested? Yeah, so what we'll do is we'll we'll keep an eye on what forms we've had in, and this is the other reason the forms come in handy because we can we can see in quite a structured manner what's been tested and what hasn't. If there's stuff that hasn't been tested, I think you, know, you probably saw posts from myself, Pat, Elliot on the uh, the playtest group. Hey guys, you know we need such and such army tested. We haven't had much data on I don't know orcs, for example, or we haven't had much data on um, a certain build or formation or uh, whatever the case may be. Um, so it does help to highlight those things, um, and we do put calls out to say you know guys can you please help us and test whatever the situation is whatever the unit is and so in terms of the playtesting process overall matt do you do you see any ways that you think it could be improved oh, i mean i'm i'm not um i'm not going to sit here and say it's perfect i think i think it's pretty good um and right now you've put me on the spot and asked for ways that it, that it can be improved um and um, I sense it may be a somewhat loaded question. So I'm going to flip the question and ask the same, <laughs> same thing back to you. <laughs> um, no, I mean, intent wasn't that it was super loaded. But um, I think personally with Clash of Kings, I think it is hard to... And obviously we don't see everything that goes on with you guys and like you, you guys are working like mad. Yeah, exactly. I, I know I absolutely wouldn't want to. 
I do wonder if similar to internally to the RC, whether it would be better with smaller working groups to make working on certain changes to see, to make sure that everything got covered. That's all. Yeah, that, that, I reckon that's the end. And, and I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily think that's right. I just wonder if that might work better. So I think, I think that kind of happens organically anyway. Um, so in the RC, we do break off and work in uh, working groups on um, certain armies. So like I said uh, a moment ago, we, we broke mm-hmm. off and there were certain armies that um, that we dealt with. And uh, you know, you'd have, say, uh, I don't know, Elliot and Chris working on uh, certain armies and then me and Jason working on other armies and Elliot and Mike working on other armies. So we do kind of break off... Um, in that respect but then you've also got the fact that players are going to play with what they play with right so if you're a sylvankin player you're naturally going to test sylvankin so i think actually the groups kind of happen organically in that respect um i don't think structuring it in a way where we're saying right you guys test this you guys test that is something that we absolutely need to do i certainly see where you're coming from and understand why there might be benefits to the approach but ultimately i think um the time spent organizing that and the effort that is required to do that um outweighs the benefits when it's something that kind of happens organically anyway yeah yeah i think that's fair and jeremy do you do you have anything yeah i mean i think it was a it was a a, a pretty good process i think that i wonder sometimes if and I don't know the answer to this question, right? I'm just uh, brainstorming if there should be like, a, I would hate to say like, okay, if you want to be play testing, you mandatorily have to play X amount of games per week or we're going to kick you out. You know what I mean? I don't know if that is the space I want to be in, but I did feel of that 60 some odd people. There were people who were just giving maybe anecdotal our apocryphal feedback or just sort of feedback or, you know, that, you know, I think this is too big or too whatever, but weren't playing the games as much, but that still gives you value. Like you said, in that then it can be like, okay, guys, the call out this weekend, we want people play testing X, Y, or Z. Right. So I think there's probably still value in having people with good insight and good intellect and good lenses who aren't playing as many games to still have a voice in the process. Yeah. And and obviously with the COVID pandemic being on as well, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Universal Battle. I, I hate to say it, um, it's okay for now yeah, and again, I but I, I couldn't be one of these people. Um, Elliot is completely the other way, and uh, there there was a time when I almost wanted to have an intervention with Elliot and say, you know, you are spending too much time on Universal Battle. You perhaps want to calm things down a little bit um, because you 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 have a wife and surely you have a, uh, you know other things to do. Um, perhaps you know chill out. Uh, but but you know each each to their own. And um, I, I'm not a big fan. I will do it every now and again for playtesting if we've got something that I feel really needs to be playtested. Uh, but that that's the sole reason I I have UB. Um, and with the pandemic on, I guess there's people like me that, that didn't want to spend all their time on UB, but didn't really have any other option uh, to do play testing. And also the other thing is when you're when you're playing in person, you are, uh, of course, you can proxy things and, and that, but you are sort of limited by the models that you have um, in certain respects. So you might not be able to, I don't know, spam 
glade stalkers or um what whatever case is you know you you might not be able to do that because you might not have enough infantry painted up um or maybe you're using your your infantry for for something else you want to include in the list or whatever so you are kind of restricted in in that respect um when you play test in person that's not to say it's not valuable stuff because actually um that's stuff that you do in person is kind of like this that's that's the stuff you're going to see um on the table in real life right unless you're um really willing to paint x amount of the same unit um naturally when when the book comes out people are going to be looking to tweak their their tournament armies um they're going to have what they've got already you're going to be looking to take that to a tournament so it's going to be a case of right what are these one or two things that i can add and then towards the end of the cycle that's when you're going to start seeing the people that have um painted up an entire army uh, based off the changes so um so yeah i think it's uh it's it's all useful stuff different people have got different um abilities in terms of the amount of time they've got to 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 put towards it and there was actually a few occasions when i was looking at the the list of people and i'd post we've got a discord group for for the rc members um i'd post on there right does anyone know who so and so is you know, i don't know everyone i don't know the whole 64 people um and someone would uh would would say yeah he's he's one of my guys he's planning a playtest. he's been chatting in our in our club group chat don't kick him he's he's actually planning a, a playtesting weekend him and his buddy are getting together and they're going to provide loads of feedback and stuff so um yeah it, it felt like every time i was about to kick someone for not posting anything we'd suddenly get a flurry of reports from them but you know it's, it's just how it goes so uh yeah I don't, I don't think there's really anything we can kind of do about that um other than just just keep monitoring it and giving them a little nudge and say you know do you still want to play test you know, we've not heard from you for a while um if you don't we are gonna have to get, get release you from the group because uh you know privacy is a big thing we don't want people um just loitering in the group to read the latest and greatest updates um because that's generally how leaks happen and stuff like that so it's uh, it's all stuff to take into consideration and i liked having the freedom like i sort of chose and i'm curious to hear kind of croger's thoughts on this too is i kind of wanted to carve out what my area of focus was going to be from playtesters there was lots of playtesters who every week they would play something different test new things or whatever so I sort of sort of took up the mindset, which is I'm going to play two. The majority of my test games are going to be two factions, right? Basileia, which is one of my, uh, I played it over the years. I've t- I've taken it to masters, finished well year after year. So it's a faction that I really know really well. And then my other one was going to be Twilight Kin because it's a faction that I love that's getting a lot of work done on it this go around. So instead of me changing, what I instead decided to pick is these are the two factions I'm going to change. Now it's my goal then to change, to play these against as many possible different options as possible. So as opposed to me changing what I'm playing, I instead took the new twilight kin that I'm working on and I played it against a shooting army. I played it against a grind army. I played it against an alpha uh, army trying to take this new thing and play it in as many different varied scenarios as possible. Um, yeah. Which, Croger, were you when you were thinking about what games you were going to test? What what sort of was in your mind when you were thinking about what do I want to test? How am I going to test it, etc.? Yeah, I think um, mine's interesting. I think I I played it a little bit differently to you in that 
I did a little bit of focus on dwarves because they're what I'm most familiar with but and across a variety of builds. But basically before every game um, or every week, I would go to Mike and I would say, uh, what do we need now? You know, what do we not have enough of? And try and just um, build something around that so at least there was some feedback. Like I think we got quite late in the piece and I noticed that we didn't have a hell of a lot of Trident Realms. So even though Trident Realms aren't one of my armies, that I mean, that was the benefit of UB, is that I switched into Trident Realms and gave those quite a few games. And, and interestingly, out of that, you know, fell a bit in love with Trident Realms, so I'll probably build them up at some point. But okay. yeah, so I approached it a little bit differently. So what I'm going to take away from that, guys, is that if uh, if Trident Realms are too strong, it's, it's Jeremy's fault. And uh, Matt, if Triad and Realm are too strong, then um, then that's your fault because you were the guys playtesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 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 good. It, it just, I just like to to be able to just to, um, allocate blame to other people rather than it always falling on the art scene myself. Uh, no, on a, on a more serious note though, it is good to to test things in that way, and I really like the approach that you took there, Matt. Um, because actually, if you play the same army all the time. You know, it will take your example of, of switching over to Trident Realm, and then you then you switch and you use another army. Actually, that can give you. Um, it, it means you're coming at it with a fresh pair of eyes rather than someone that's that's been around the block with Trident Realm for a number of years and is a bit jaded by it and has um, an entrenched view, so to speak. So it's good to to see that because you'll be coming at it from a dwarf angle, and you might say, "Oh, actually, this unit that everyone's um, been." Uh, putting down for all these years actually i've i've found a use for them because um i'm used to playing with speed four dwarves and i've actually got these guys now and they're really good or whatever the case may be so it's it's, it's nice that you come in with with fresh eyes and the same for you jeremy where you you're coming in um coming at the the, the twilight kin from a different angle having played from from a basileon point of view for a number of years yeah absolutely um so if we'll, we'll move towards the conclusion now, Matt. Is there is there a unit that you could single out or even a special... I mean, you've mentioned a special rule um, that could be a reasonable example, I guess, of the of the playtest process and how it, how it changed over time, how you saw it change from your position on the RC. Um, we've got a future episode coming up about um, Gladestalkers specifically, so maybe if we don't use that one. But is there another, is there another unit? The Glade Stalkers were the ones that really did spring to mind as that was one that went through several revisions. So they are they that question is gonna be one for Elliot to answer when he can tell you about Glade Stalkers and the playtesting process that went into them. I think that'll be um that'll be a question for him to answer. Okay, no worries. All right, so no other unit jumps out at you significantly. I will I will say that I'm a massive fan of and I would say this because I worked on them. So um, it's, it's you know, me saying my own ideas are good. Um, I, I'd like to hear what everyone else thinks. But um, uh, there are, are two units, new units for Kingdoms of Men. And obviously Kingdoms of Men are kind of the vanilla um, blank canvas to do what you want with. And what we've, what we've actually done is introduce two new units to Kingdoms of Men which actually up the ante in terms of uh in in terms of them being a fantasy race 
um, rather than just based in the, the you know the historical kind of roots of the army. Um, and we've kept it to the to the the ethos of the army where they are a blank canvas and you can do what you want. Um, the two units are. Uh, and they're, they're very much linked with each other. Um, the, the first unit is Beast Cavalry. So you've got a very generic, bland, monstrous cavalry profile. But then you've got a couple of upgrades for them. You can pick one of the upgrades, uh, which will mean that they get a better melee profile. Or you can stick with the bland melee profile, but give them fly. So it gives people an opportunity to use... Um, use some flying cavalry or use some big beasties with their knights riding them. Um, and the other one which kind of ties into that is we've given Kingdoms of Men a new living legend. Uh, and I always thought it was strange that the Kingdoms of Men did not have a king. So um, this particular living legend is known as the Monarch, um, gender neutral term there. So you can have a queen or a king uh, as you see fit. And this is essentially a, uh, uh, a kingdoms and men chap, uh, a general type on a dragon. So uh, kingdoms and men, obviously the biggest monster they've been able to take, you know, in terms of flying monsters, heroes, that sort of thing has been the uh, general winged beast, which, which you know, they're, they're good, but they ain't dragons. And then with the monarch, you get to pick, I think there's three or four different upgrades that you can give him uh, or her as the case may be, uh, where you can have the the dragon without wings. And so you can have it uh, running around on some kind of mammoth type thing or um, or whatever you, you, you know, you want to model it as. Uh, and then there's a, a winged version. And then there's another, um, another few, another few upgrades, which are various special rules you can give, um, give, give the particular uh, living legends. So yeah, two, two very exciting things for, um, for Kingdoms of Men, uh, I will need to get painting and modelling because they're they're cool from a thematic point of view, and I, I I would like to add a little bit more fantasy to my um, my Kingdoms of Men army, and I'd like to use Mantic models to do it. Yeah, I um I actually agree there, Matt, and you know I'll I'll own up to it. I totally missed that change during the actual playtest process, and it's not until I've been looking. Well, actually, I think Mike pointed out to me once we'd kind of formally finished playtesting and then looking at the draft, and I I really like those additions to King There's a Men. One, because I think King There's a Men needed a little bit of something, but two, the flavour that injects. But I, I really like that base model profile where you can bolt on your things. It reminds me of the version 2 Beast of Nature a little bit, right, where you've got sure. quite a bit of variety in in how you want that unit to perform with it for you in the context of the army. And I, I, I actually think that's a really good design philosophy. I mean, it it probably means that there's more to play test when it comes to a given unit. But no, I, I agree. I think um, if they were your ideas, I think they were cracking ideas. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad so, someone agrees with me. It doesn't happen often enough, in my opinion. But, uh, well, I like there it. You go. It's like... It's good for the the play space for those players who like to, okay, I'm going to buy a unit. Okay, I want to pay an extra point and give them weapons, or I want to do this. Or I, they they want to have granularity in the unit selection process. You know, right. in that, like other games, you can buy a champion or a standard bear, et cetera, et cetera. And Kings has a little bit more toned down. So this, again, it's not like a massive change, but it's giving you uh, a place to, if you yeah. do want to have a little bit more of those custom choices, you you have them. 
and the granularity in, in terms of this building is um, is actually, although sorry, the lack of granularity in this building is one of the reasons I sort of like Kings to begin with, in terms of yes, I've got these set things and the, this is my toolbox and I select the tools from it, in, to which I, I, I intend to do the job, um, but uh, I do think having it on a unit here and a unit there. Uh, makes it interesting without going overboard and overcomplicating the uh, the situation. So, yeah, yeah I think I think we've kind like of that, um, um, uh, pitched it right on this one. I think the extra spoonful of sugar, as I sing that often to myself as I'm walking, as I'm making army lists, you know. No, I'm just kidding, but it, it's that idea of writing just having, a spoonful of sugar. Yeah, you know, it helps Jeremy sugar. write a list. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, a page, uh, Ma- Jeremy Mary Poppins memes. You've been given a task. For the next uh, 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 page, a meme creation, but it's the idea of having just a little bit of flavor at. Because I feel like we're so like I often call Kings of War the Goldilocks game in that we the community is not too small, it's not too big, it's just right. <laughs> and the same thing with the rule right. system, right? We want it to be simple, but not too simple. And, and not too complex have it be just so i felt like we could go just a step more towards that that granularity or them a little bit more towards that flavor town yeah. one thing i'm quite conscious of is that um we're all experienced players here and yes for us one more level of complexity uh isn't going to make uh, a huge amount of difference it's just one more thing to remember uh, in a rule set where we very rarely get the rule book out once we're familiar with it. But my, my concern there and where I want to kind of rein that in a little bit is for new players. Um, because if we keep saying, just add one more thing, just add one more thing, just add one more thing, well, suddenly we've got 50 new things and the game becomes, uh, you know, bloated. And that's something that I'm um, quite conscious of. Of course, we want to add, add the right things, make the right changes and, and do it in a way um, that keeps the game simple, uh, but what we what we need to be conscious of is is going overboard with that, and I I think that's um, that's something we always try and keep in mind, and uh, that that's kind of like the 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 ethos that I have um, going forward with that sort of thing. Well, I just want to take the opportunity, Matt, to really thank you for your time. We've we've just hit that roughly one hour mark, and we promised you it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too long because it is evening time where you are. Um, so. And as we've done with our other guests over this series that Jeremy and I are doing in the lead up to Clash of Kings is just to thank you for the mammoth amount of work that you and the RC put in because being on just the playtesting side gives us some idea of the amount of things you guys have to synthesize. So thanks for all your work on that and you know, thanks for your time joining us tonight. Yeah, that, that's not a problem. Um, am I sending the invoice to Jeremy or yourself, Matt? Oh, definitely Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Okay, not yeah. a problem. Yeah. We'll work something out, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy tends to pay in nudes, though, so I'm not <laughs> sure how keen you are. Yeah. Oh, Consider this a freebie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's like, never mind. This one's on the house. Yeah, I've just marked it off as paid. Yeah, paid. Invoice, no need, no need to send a, a picture invoice. We're good. All right, Matt, did you wanna do you wanna take us out then? Thanks for counter charging. Keep listening. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge15 
or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.